for the sins of his people. They put him to death upon the cross. And three days later, he rose bodily from the grave. He came back to life in vindication of all that he had said about himself. And he spent some time with his disciples, giving them final instructions. Most importantly, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke records it a little differently in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, before ascending into heaven, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And so Jesus, who came from heaven's glory and lived and died and rose and then commissioned his church, then ascended into heaven. The Bible says he sat down at his father's right hand one day to come again. And so in in the parable, it seems, this is the master gone on a journey. And having commissioned his church and having gone away, Jesus has entrusted to us many talents. Here, he, he, these talents were money. Some say it was a whole bunch of money. 6,000 denarii would be one talent, what, what somebody could earn over many, many years. And so this is enormous amounts of money. This master was quite wealthy. And entrust to these slaves, these servants these talents with the clear assumption that they are to put those talents to work, put that money to work for the sake of the master. And so we speak of what Jesus has entrusted to us, that we are stewards of what Jesus Christ has entrusted to us one day to give an account to him for how we have stewarded it. The churchy way to say it is time, talents, and treasures, right? Time, talent, and treasure that you and I have time. How much of it we do not know, but the time that we have is a gift from God. And we have been given talents, not like these talents, but we've been given abilities, some of them natural abilities, others of them what we would call spiritual gifts, but things that we are able to do unique from anybody else, really, to be a blessing to others. Those are gifts from God. Those are entrusted to us. We are stewards of them time and our talents, abilities, and treasure, our money and our possessions. So often we think of that kind of stuff as ours. But the teaching of the Bible is that all of the money that we have and all of the possessions that we have are gifts from God, entrusted to 
us. We are but stewards of what he has given. Terry Johnson is a pastor commenting on this parable. He, he talks about it this way and just to help us play it out a little bit more. He said, some of us are given mental abilities unlike others. The ability to, to read, to think, and to put things together in ways that maybe others can't. He said, these kinds of people can serve as theologians and teachers within the church, apologists of the church. Others, maybe not so much those kind of mental abilities, but maybe artistic abilities. Those who play up here, these musicians and these singers, or maybe those of you with gifts in decorating or architecture or maybe even graphic design, those abilities to make things look good and to make things sound good. Another one he, he calls pleasant personalities. He says, some folks are just graced with unusual charm. That is a gift from God. And they can serve as magnets, attracting others to the church, visiting those who are struggling, just spreading cheer and joy wherever they go. Others have organizational skills. They're able to come into a church or into a ministry and bring order and efficiency to it. Others, he says, for lack of a better term, practical skills. They're woodworkers or painters or planters or mechanics. And then finally, physical capacities, just the ability to do some manual labor that maybe others can't. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? We could, we could take a look at Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Ephesians chapter 4 and the spiritual gifts that God entrusts to every one of his children. And Jesus says, I'm going away. And in the meantime, I'm entrusting some things to you. Different for every one of us in the story. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one. Um, the little phrase there, according to his own ability. We find out in 1 Corinthians 12, this is really God's sovereign and wise distribution of his gifts. But every single one of God's people entrusted with time and talents and treasure. And again, the clear implication from this, and there's a parallel parable in Luke that uses the phrase, the master says, do business until I come. It's not used here, but that's certainly the implication there in verse 16. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went out and traded with them. He, he understood what he was supposed to do with this, which had been entrusted to him. And it just reminds us, I think, that Jesus did not save any of us to sit, soak, and sour. But to what? Well, to keep it with S's, as any good preacher would do. To serve. To serve the kingdom of God with the time, talents, and treasures, the gifts and abilities, the money and possessions that he has given to us. And some will steward their gifts well and be richly rewarded by Jesus. 
Verse 16. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. That's a 100% return, isn't it? That's pretty good. Immediately, there was a sense of urgency to him. He realized that he had a responsibility with what God had, what the master had entrusted to him. He wasn't just supposed to dilly-dally around, waste time, procrastinate, or anything of the like. The master had entrusted to him these five talents and expected him to do something with it. And so he shows urgency. And he traded with them. He probably established a business or maybe more. And he gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. He did the same thing. The implication, immediately. And he traded. And he gained two more. So 100% return. And both of these receive the well done. In verse 19, after a long time, the master of the slaves came and settled accounts. The master came and said, hey, tell me how it went. How'd you do? One who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents. Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. And he gets the attaboy. Atta girl. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He's going to get more responsibility. She's going to get more responsibility. And sometimes when we hear that, it's kind of like, oh, I don't want any more responsibility. No, we're meant to read this. This is a, this is a, a longed-for promotion. This is something, this is news you would hear and go, awesome. This is great. And not only greater responsibility, but the joy of your master. Just a reminder, Jesus is happy. This Friday, past Friday morning in our men's discipleship training, we, we looked at the Trinity for just a bit, and, and we reminded ourselves that before God created the heavens and the earth and spoke it all into existence before anything. There was God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Loving one another, delighting in one another, in what one author calls the happy land of the Trinity. Our God has been happy and joyful from before all time. And he created the world and he created us that he might share that love and share that delight and share that joy with his people. Jesus says to this one, you're going to enter into the joy of your master. 
And the same of the one who was entrusted with two. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had two wasn't expected to make five, but to simply be faithful with the two that had been entrusted to him. But of course, there was one that did not. Verse 18, but the one who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So he's in contrast to the other two who showed urgency and diligence and responsibility. And down in verse 24, the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Whose fault is it here in his response? I knew you were, to, you were a hard man. If, if you weren't the way that you are, I wouldn't be the way that I am. See, I, I was afraid. Verse 25, I was afraid. But the reason I was afraid is because you're a hard man. It, it, it's your fault. He seems to blame his non-stewardship on the character of the master and on the way the master seemingly operates. You reap where you don't sow. You, you gather where you scatter no seed. Well, of course. Maybe he thought, if, if I make a profit, I'm only going to get a little bit because I've only been entrusted with one. Or maybe he thinks if I lose, it's not going to go well for me at all. Or maybe he's mad that he only got one and the other's got two and five. But he seems to overlook his responsibility as a slave to his master and his obligation to discharge his assigned duties. We're not meant to take from this that Jesus is a tyrant that expects us to do the unattainable. Not at all. Jesus had entrusted the five, the two, and the one, and each were to do the very best they could with what they had. And this one, Jesus is going to say, was lazy. In verse 26, his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. If You were right about that. And, and knowing that, then you should have at least put it in the bank and gotten back a little bit of interest. But in fact, he did not. And so he gets the stern rebuke. His talent is taken away from him. 
And in the language that Jesus would often use, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He does not enter into the joy of his master. I want you to just hear a few. I think, I think we can read a passage like this and we know exactly or seemingly what it, what it means for us. But, but just listen to a few. Matthew Henry famous commentator, says that that this parable is about, quote, actual diligence in our present work and service. Actual diligence in our present work and service. R.T. France, this parable teaches, what this parable teaches is not a matter of passively waiting. Right? The, The master goes away. He says he's going to come again. I'll just passively wait. It's not a matter of passively waiting, but of responsible activity producing results which the coming master can see and approve. He goes on to to speak about this time in which we live between the first and second coming of Jesus. Quote, it's a period of opportunity to put to good use the talents entrusted to his people. D.A. Carson, the parable encourages us not to passivity, but to doing one's duty, to growing, to husbanding, and developing the resources God entrusts to us. Terry Johnson, who I quoted earlier, properly understood this parable asks us to examine our response to gospel opportunities. Have we acted upon the gospel word that we have heard Believing, obeying, and serving in response. Have we acted upon all our providential capacities, gifts, and opportunities as well, wisely employing them for the glory of God? If, if these guys are right, the words diligence, activity, put to good use, doing, growing, husbanding, developing, acting, serving, employing, just like these two immediately went and traded and gained five more, two more. Jesus Christ has come and he has lived and died and, and, and been raised and has ascended into heaven. And in due course of history, by the grace of God, if you, if you know Christ, it's because God drew you to himself and opened your eyes to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And you believed that Jesus is the one who came and lived and died and rose for you, for your forgiveness to, be, to reconcile you to God. And you have been saved. But you have been saved, not to sit, soak, and sour until he comes. You've been saved to serve. Like my old pastor said, I'd say it all, when, when, we, when you trusted in Jesus and you got baptized, the pastor didn't hold you under the water and send you to glory. Right? Wouldn't that be great? But no, he raised you up, raised me up out of the water, what? To walk in newness of life to walk with Jesus 
entrusted by him with particular gifts, abilities, possessions, and the like to serve him until he comes. It will take diligence. That's seemingly what these had. Again, the, the, immediately there's an urgency to it. They traded with them. That, that takes hard work. Proverbs 10.4, pours, uh, pours the one who works with a lazy hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12.27, a lazy person does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a person is diligence. 13.4, the soul of the lazy one craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made prosperous. Diligence is a character quality that we are meant to demonstrate in all areas of our life, but for this purpose, for the opportunities that Jesus has given to you and me to serve his kingdom. And it, it, it not only will demand diligence, but risk-taking. You have heard me quote Howard Hendricks, did a little digging in my old seminary notes and I found where that quote came from. And he goes beyond what I usually quote. Here's what, here's what I've quoted often before. If you keep on doing what you have been doing, you will keep on getting what you have been getting. Then he goes on, risk-taking always involves failure. If you don't take a risk, you can be sure you'll fail. If you do take a risk, you run the risk of failure. And then he said this, the classic example is in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Here was a man unwilling to take a risk. There's no such thing as an investment without risk taking. I was at lunch last week with a couple from our church. Great time and and the, um, the lady said, I, I started a book club with some, with some moms that have kids about the same age as mine. She said, I've never done anything like that before, but it's going really neat. She took a risk. Uh, I've never done this before. But I'm going to build relationships and I'm going to invite them into my home where I can get to know them and the like. D.A. Carson said of this parable, grace never condones irresponsibility. Even those given less are obligated to use and develop what they have. So let's close real quick. Make a point and then three areas for you to consider. Here's the point. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came. Do you and I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back? 
that reality, I think, shapes our response to a parable like this. Remember from 2 Peter 3, there were some who didn't believe it. This is Peter writing, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come. Do you and I believe, in fact, that Jesus Christ will come again? And then second, briefly, maybe here's a few things to think about. When, when I, way back in 2002, 2001, I was on staff at Denton Bible Church. Tara and I had just gotten uh, married in 2000. I was a young singles pastor, but we were praying about what would be next for us. And um, Anyway, got a phone call from Fellowship Bible Church of Little Rock to go there to train and then to go plant Fellowship Bible Church of Jonesboro, Arkansas, which we did. When we were in Little Rock for five months of training, Robert Lewis was one of the pastors there, and he had this little tool that he used. He called it his control panel, and it was a bunch of different areas of the church, um, and he had it organized really well. And on each one of them, he had given each little area either a red, yellow, or green. You know where that's going, right? If it was red, it was, boy, this particular area of our church really needs some help now. If it was yellow, it was like, hey, you know, it's not near as good as we would like it to be, but it's okay. And if it was green, it was like, hey, by God's grace, we're doing really, really good right here. So it kind of gave him and other leaders in the church a feel for different areas of the church. I'm going to give you three to consider, and in your own mind, red, yellow, or green. I think it's true that God has given to you and to me money and possessions. He's entrusted them to us, and we're meant to steward them for him. Red, yellow, Green. Jesus has given to you gifts and abilities. We might say abilities are just natural abilities that you have, and then when you became a Christian and the Spirit of God came within you, the Bible teaches that He gave you a spiritual gift. 
just a, a, an ability. It's kind of like when your love button is pushed, this is the way you love to help others. Some of us, the gift of teaching, some of you, the gift of mercy, others of you, the gift of service, some of you, the gift of giving, others, the gift of leadership, the gift of administration. There's a handful of them, and every single one of God's people has a spiritual gift that they are meant to use for the blessing of the church and world. Peter says, employ it in serving one another. Red, yellow, or green. And then the gospel. Each and every one of us who know God through his son Jesus have been entrusted with the gospel message. And he has placed us sovereignly in the neighborhoods we live in, in the workplaces we are, everywhere we go. And we have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel for a lost world. And we're stewards of it. Red, yellow, or green. Finally, one more from D.A. Carson. He closes his comments on this parable and he said, For those with a good heart, this will be more than a responsibility. It will be a challenge, a joy, and a privilege. For those with a good heart, we'll come to a, a parable like this and maybe a sermon like mine. And we'll hear it not as a drudging responsibility. Oh, man, i got to be a steward of the things that God's entrusted to me. Jesus came and lived and died and rose for me and ascended into heaven. He's coming back one day, and in the meantime, I'm supposed to serve him, his people, and his call. <sighs> no. For those with a good heart, this will be more than a responsibility. It'll be a challenge, a joy, and a privilege. Imagine, 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 imagine what would happen if all of us who know Christ responded like these two immediately. Urgency and diligence and responsibility to take the things that God had entrusted to us and put them to work for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself that we would live convinced, assured that our Lord Jesus Christ who came for us is coming again. And we would live with a sense of delight and joy that he has called us to co-labor in the gospel ministry until he comes. Give us a sense of excitement, a sense of joy, a sense of um, destiny. 
that you have empowered us and you have gifted us, you have called us. In the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, to do business until you come. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see um, wonderful fruit from our love, our service, our sharing of the good news with others. We do look forward to a day when you might look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.